over the years, I've spent uh, uh, time on many different farms, from dairy farms to cattle farms to sheep farms. One of my favourite is Joe's uncle's. He owns a beautiful uh, sheep farm in Wakawaiiti. Try saying that over and over. I've had to practice it. On the South Island of New Zealand. It is, as the Kiwis say, a slice of heaven. I'm sure, I'm unsure, sorry, I'm unsure how many sheep he has or how many acres. I know both are in the hundreds. One of the most amazing things I've seen is him standing on one hill, and remember, hills in New Zealand are a lot bigger than hills here, um, and working his dogs way over on another hill. They just appear as little specks chasing these white specks. The sheep may not have responded to his voice, but boy, the dogs did. It was just one of those amazing sights. Sheep, however are, to me, one of the world's dumbest animals. They are also pretty defenceless to predators. You think about it. I mean, all they can do is either try and headbutt them or, their biggest defence, run away. Other than cultural and context and all the good theological reasons, um, it is no wonder... Jesus uses sheep to describe his followers, uh, not from the dumb side. I want to make that clear. Although, you know, people outside the church may think so. It's more to do with the defenselessness that seems to ring true. Their inability to do anything to protect themselves and why they need protection, especially when you are speaking in terms of eternity. Last week, you might recall that I made reference to these verses in John's Gospel when I spoke about Jesus telling Peter to feed my lamb, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. To better understand it, though, it begs us to better understand what is going on at the time. Remember, context is very important when we look at what Jesus is doing and saying, especially especially when the gospel writer directly relates to what's going on with a Jewish festival. So here we have Jesus walking in the forecourt of the temple in an area called, there it is, in an area called the Portico of Solomon. Now, this is a colonnade or cloister um, located on the eastern side of the, trem- of the temple in the outer court, what they call the, uh, the women's court. This is where the early uh, Christian church met and it is often where Peter uh, preached from. The time is winter. The temperature could have been between 8 and 14 degrees. It was a time of the festival of dedication. The festival of dedication is also known as Hanukkah. It is important that we understand something of this festival to understand the undertones of this conversation. So, Hanukkah is celebrated in December. This year it's between the 22nd and 30th of December. Along with Passover, it's one of the major Jewish festivals even today. 
the events that inspired Hanukkah took place in a very turbulent um, phase of Jewish history. Around 200 BC, Judea was under the control of um, Ariochus III, the king of Syria. Now, he's a pretty good king. He allowed the Jews to live and to continue practicing their religion. However, on his death, his son took over, Articus IV. Um, he proved to be a little less benevolent. And the story goes that he outlawed the Jewish religion and ordered the Jews to worship Greek gods. In 168 BC, his soldiers descended upon Jerusalem, massacred thousands of people, desecrated the temple and erected an altar to Zeus and sacrificed pigs within the sacred walls. Imagine how that went with Jewish people. Uh, led by a Jewish priest, Mattathias, and his five sons, a large-scale rebellion broke out. When Mattathias died in 166 BC, his son Judah, known as Judah Maccabee, or, to his mates, the Hammer. <laughs> I love that name. Um, he took over, the Hammer took over, and within two years, the Jews had successfully driven out the Syrians out of Jerusalem, relying majorly, main, mainly on guerrilla warfare tactics. Judah called his followers to cleanse the, temp, the second temple, build its, uh, build its altar, and light the menorah. So the menorah is a, a, a gold candelabra with eight branches, representing the eight miracle days, and was meant to be kept burning every night. It is this rededication of the temple that the festival of dedication, or Hanukkah, celebrates. So what is the situation that the Jewish people were under when Jesus appears on the scene? They are again an occupied nation. This time it's the Romans, and they are looking for a messiah, a leader, just like Judah, Maccabee, to lead them against the Romans. So why is it important that we understand this story? Well, firstly, it's all about getting the temple back. Remember, the temple is the presence of God for the Jewish people. It is the place where God meets his people. But it is also about kings and how they became kings. And here we have Jesus walking in the temple, talking about the good shepherd, the real shepherd, the king, the true king. Understand that Jesus' message is both controversial and outrageous. When I was growing up, we had these really awful pictures of Jesus as the good shepherd, just like the one on the screen. They showed Jesus as some sort of long-haired hippie with children hanging off him and a few sheep sort of scattered around. <laughs> that, that is the picture of Jesus we are often presented with. To the Jewish people, however, they were looking for somebody more like this. This image is a portrait of Judah Maccabee. This is more what they were going on. Um, this is what they were going on about. This is what was going on in our reading. This is the sort of king they were looking for. 
Well, of course, both images are wrong. But this conversation is all about power and rule and God's kingdom and the world kingdom, about God appointing a true king and the many kings and rulers of the past, many of whom would have been happy to kill anyone threatening their rule. When Jesus is pressed about if he's the Messiah, Israel's true king, Jesus points them to the works he's been doing. It's like saying to them that if you can't see what's going on in front of you, no amount of talking, no amount of talking about titles, no amount of talking about anything else is going to help. And it's not as though they hadn't seen what he'd been doing, but rather than accepting it, they condemned it. Just prior to our reading, just prior to the reading we had this morning, Jesus is accused of being demon-possessed. It seems to me that that's the call throughout the gospel. Whenever they don't understand about things that are happening, they seem to refer to Jesus being demon-possessed. I've said that Jesus' conversation was both controversial and outrageous, but it is also dangerous. With the idea of the shepherd and the sheep, in particular with the spectacular promise to the sheep. You see, just after Jesus makes his conversation, in the next few verses of John's Gospel, they threaten to stone Jesus. Just imagine how they felt when he says to those who, were, who hear Jesus' voice and recognise it as the voice of their shepherd, they will be safe forever. He will look after them and even death itself, the last great enemy, cannot ultimately harm them. The reason Jesus can be so confident about this is that the guarantee of his own unbreakable bond of love and union with the Father and the fact that the sheep he owns are the ones the Father has given him. So Christian confidence, our confidence about the future beyond death, in other words, it's not and it should not be a matter of wishful thinking or a vague general hope or a temperamental inclination to assume things will turn out all right. It is and should be built firmly on nothing less than the union of Jesus with the Father. This is a major theme throughout all the Gospels. I find it interesting that in the world today, in the Christian world of thinking, um, where they have come, become unclear about Jesus' close relationship with the Father, they have also often become unclear about the certainty of the Christian hope and vice versa. Like I said last week, ultimately, Peter understood what it meant to be one of Jesus' sheep. And he did become the shepherd, and Jesus had called him to be. But it raises the question, what about us? Do we share this confidence of eternity? Have we heard the shepherd's voice ringing in our ears? 
You are his. Spend a moment this week just thinking about what that means. You belong to God. You are his. You have been given to Jesus. Spend a few moments this week listening. Listening for Jesus' voice. What is it saying to you? What is it saying to you? And once you've thought about that, it only leaves one question. How are you going to respond to that voice? Amen.